Thank you. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 2. Today we're going to start verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 7. Luke 2, verse 1. The Word of God says to us, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come today, and it's a, it's a busy time of year. There are uh, still presents to get, still plans to make, still functions to go to. And it would just, if, if we could, if, if you would enable us, and I know you can, to soften our hearts for the next 30 minutes, to open our hearts to what you'd like to hear, and to center our hearts and our minds and our spirits on the gospel. And the gospel being good news, that God is with us. God is with us on this earth, God is with us here. And you have come in a manger as the Christ child. And then you died on a cross so that we could be saved from sin, from brokenness, from darkness. With everything else we've got going on in our lives, for a moment, I pray that we would see this anew. We would see it again. We would feel it again. We would know it again. We would experience it again. We would live it again. In your son's holy name. The greatest name in history, the greatest name for eternity, the name of Jesus. We offer up these prayers. Amen. Uh, I want to ask you a question, not to answer, just to think about. The question would be, what could one life do? What can one life accomplish? What can one life achieve from birth to death? Now, if you listen to the world, I mean the world at large... Uh, they would say anything. You know, they would say that you know, if you set your mind to it, you can achieve it. You can accomplish it. Uh, I heard that growing up, uh, both from just the world in general and from my family. If you put your mind to it, and if you're focused, you can do it. And you know what? That is a lie. It is a, just a fundamental lie. And I'm not trying to be negative or anything up here. And here's why. It's like... Um, Man, I can think about it and focus on it and try as hard as I ever could, practicing everything, and I'm not going to be Michael Jordan. I mean, there's no chance. I mean, you know, 5'11 on my best day with a little, some boots. I mean, um, you know, it, it's just not going to happen, okay? Also, and I've actually tried to, to be this guy, I, I will never be able to play baseball like Derek Jeter. I mean, uh, no arm, uh, you know. Don't have the speed and the agility. I mean, it's not going to happen. I'm not going to be able to hit like Albert Pujols. 
Uh, I'm never going to be a quarterback. One, I'm never going to be a quarterback, but I'd never be a quarterback like the Mannings. So, you know, we have these dreams about, hey, anything you set your mind to, you know, it's, it's false. And even you take out, you know, us guys, we like sports and all, but take sports out of the equation. You know, you sit me down to do like a pre-med chemistry test. I mean, I would bomb it, okay? I mean, there's no way. There's no way I could get through like pre-med or med school. And then even if, and I love you doctors out there, even if I like actually made it through school and then was like trying to work on something, I, mean, I would pass out, you know, in the operating room. So all that, I mean, freaks me out. I mean, I can't do that. It's just not how God's, God's made me. Same with, with numbers, like an accountant. Love accountant. I mean, I would just pass out and go to sleep trying to add and all that. I mean, you know, I mean, you, God has wired us and equipped us, and there's some things we can do, and there's some things we can't do. Now, the things we can do, though, I would say this. If, if you put your mind to it, and if you're determined, and if you're focused, you can, um, you know, you can achieve things. I mean, physically, you know, we got some iron men in here. You know, we got some hardcore iron men. You know, put your mind focused, you do it. You know, we got some, some people who've built great companies, organizations. Put your mind to it, work hard, be determined, set goals, and you can grow an organization, you can grow a business, you can grow a church, okay? And then the trap that we fall into is we want more. Hey, we've done this. Hey, we've done this Ironman. Let's try to do some, re- is there a triple Ironman out there, anything like that, you know? Some of you are looking out there. I know you are. Is, you know, we've grown an organization or we've grown a business. What's the next step? What's the next goal? What's the next achievement? What's the next accomplishment? And, you know, we're, we're continually trying to do more and more and more. And we fall into the trap of thinking, hey, this is all about us. As in, like, this is all about me. And look at what I'm doing and look at what I'm achieving. And, you know, we fall in the trap of you know, making it all about us and our success and our achievement. And we, like, we're trying to really just, I mean, get down to it, like make ourselves God. I mean, you may not think that, but it, it, is, it is all about us. We want to do more and do more and do more. Today is the last Sunday of Advent. Advent literally means God came down to us. And there's a saying that, you know, God came to us, and ever since then, we've been trying to return the favor. And we've been trying to get to God. God came to us, he humbled himself for us, and then we're constantly trying to, trying to get to God. There is a, um, see there's this void in our lives, each of our lives, all of our lives. There's this hole in our lives, and, and it's called sin. And it's not like a, a bad habit, it's not like a, uh, a bad addiction, and there are bad addictions, it's not like a... Um, Hey, I'm just, you know, my personality or bipolar. No, it's a, you know, you hear me talking about like DNA of the church. It's our like human DNA, sin. And it's a void and it's brokenness and it's separation from God and it's distance and there's this gap and this void and what we try to do is we try to fill it on our own. We try to fill it with things that either make us happy or we try to fill it with things that make us feel good Try to fill it with things that make us feel successful or achieving and accomplished. And if you don't believe me, think about your life during the week. Think about, you know, what you think about in your days off or what you think about in your downtime. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's your work. 
maybe whatever it is that you focus on, you spend a lot of time thinking, you're trying to fill that void, trying to fill that separation, trying to fill that brokenness. And look, I'm right in there with you, trying to fill it with the things that we do. And maybe they're hobbies, maybe it's our work, maybe it's... But there is this void, and it will never be filled by anything that we do. Hence, why the gospel is such good news. Gospel literally means good news. Hence, why we should be joyful about Christmas, because we can't fill it, and God said, don't worry about it. I will. And God came to us as a baby, as the child, in a manger, and said, man, I'm, I'm making this right. I'm making this separation. I'm making this distance. I'm making this brokenness. I'm making this gap filled by Jesus, by Jesus Christ. See, the thing is, not only did he come to like live, or was he just God come to earth as Jesus? He came to die. He came to die. And that, you see here today, I mean, we, we honor the manger at Christmas, and we talk about the Christmas story, but it's the cross coming out of the manger. That is, that is the Christmas. The Christmas story is, the good news is, yes, he was born, but he came to die, and he came to die for us, and he came to die so that we would not have to experience death and we could have life for eternity. We could have life here today. We could have life forever and that void will be filled and we don't have to do it. And it's not about what we do and it's not about getting to God. It's about God coming to us in Christ. So, you know, what I hope, what I hope you'll do either today or maybe tonight at night of worship or maybe this week, maybe Christmas Eve, that you'll begin thinking about how can I Begin filling that void with Jesus. How can I begin gazing at the cross more? How can I begin gazing at the gospel? And the gospel is not some like, you know, really churchy, like over your head. The gospel is the good news that Christ came to us and then he died for us. And then he rose from the dead so that we... How can I gaze at that? And see, what happens is there is a certain mystery to the gospel. I mean, there's a mystery to, hey, the cross coming out of the manger. There's a mystery to... God becoming flesh. There's a mystery to then God dying. And I can't be up here and just explain it. You know, like, there's a mystery to it. And so it's like you get it, but then you have to get it again. And then you have to get it again. Because life comes in, and then we fall back into those hobbies. We fall back into those, you know, accomplishments and success. And we stop feeling it with Jesus. We have to get it again and again and again and again. The mystery of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came for us. Jesus came for you. So you would be made complete if you know him in your heart. So today I want to talk about one life, one solitary life. What can one solitary life really do? What can one solitary not do if they don't have Christ? What does the one life of Jesus fully do for us? And what about your life? What can Jesus do in your life today? We talked about, you know, no one home alone. Really, we're all alone. We're all alone if we don't have Jesus. If we do have Jesus, we will never be alone. Ever, ever, ever. Amen? Amen. That is good news. We will never be alone with Jesus. So I want to look at one solitary life that does not have Jesus, okay? And we're going to look at Caesar. I read Luke Chapter 2, you know, sometimes we can just skip by these first couple verses, but I've said this before, I'll say it again. I believe, you know, nothing is in the Bible that's not there for a reason for us to, to see this. So 
Luke 2, and again, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to read it over. It says again, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, a census should be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Tell you a little bit about Caesar, okay? This guy, Caesar Augustus. First thing, in the Greek and the Roman world, you know, we, we talk about humility being a great trait. And we talk about, hey, we're trying pridefully to fill our lives with success and accomplishments. It's really humility. In this time, in this day and age, when Caesar was, was I mean, like the most important world, person in the world, the most powerful man in the world, humility was scorned. Humility was like, no, just slaves are humble. No, just slaves are gentle. It was more important to be self-reliant. It was more important to be confident. It was more important to be assured and accomplished and achievements. And Caesar was the Mac Daddy of it. I mean, this guy Caesar, he was not just an ordinary Caesar. I mean, there were Caesars. Caesars come and Caesars go. This Caesar was literally, I mean, the most powerful man you can think of today, I mean, times like, like 10, you know, 20. He had consolidated power. Have any of y'all seen the old movie, um, y'all know I'm a movie buff, but Cleopatra, not a good movie. But anyway, I happened to see it one time about Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton. Well, there's the young kid, the Caesar, that's this guy. And he, he has Cleopatra, you know, she ends up killing herself and Mark Antony. And so, I mean, he consolidates power. There, he's like, you know, he's like Michael Corleone at the end of Godfather 2. I mean, there's no competitors. I mean, he is dictator ruler. And actually, history shows that he, he did kind of like some good things. He built a lot of roads. He rebuilt a lot of cities. Um, they said he came into Rome and it was stone, and then he left Rome and it was marble. So, I mean, you know, and just technically, like, you know, better roads and cities and all that. You say, okay, those are accomplishments. He ruled, though, from England into Asia. And then out of his pride, he's like, I'm going to take the census and see how many people are under my rule and authority. So, I mean, he was... He was the most important person on the earth. And then he died. Then he died. And people said, well, you know, when the Caesar dies, they, he becomes a, a god, you know, a little g-god. Well, that didn't happen. He died alone. He met his maker. And so everything that he had done, all of his accomplishments, all of his achievements, all of his power was over. It was, his life was over. And he went into death alone. And he faced eternity alone because he didn't have Christ. He didn't have Christ. And today, it's so interesting. Talk about those achievements. Talk about those accomplishments. If you go to Rome today, and y'all should, you know, his, uh, his empire and everything that he built, it's ruins. I mean, now tourists still go, and tourists still go and see, and they walk amongst the ruins and everything. But it's so striking to me that the most, in my opinion, the most pristine, the most beautiful uh, structure in Rome is built above the tomb of a guy who followed this young baby who was born and then humbled himself enough to say, no, I can't die like my Savior did. Turn this cross upside down and crucify me like that. I'm talking about St. Peter's Basilica. Again, everything Caesar did crumbled. But Christ began in that time with the birth of the manger and began to grow where people would live for him and die for him. And now, again, you go to Rome now and Caesar, I mean, who is Caesar? I mean, you're all like, who is this guy? You're talking about Caesar Augustus. We know Peter. We know Christ. Hope you know him more. So today, you say, well, there's no Caesars today. There's Caesars everywhere. 
We can be our own Caesar. Because, see, we get wrapped up into our story. Hey, what, what's my story going to be? How, even how are people going to remember me? You know, what's my, um, what's my obituary going to be like? Y'all ever done that, that uh, exercise where you're like, hey, would you write your own obituary? What would it say? And you think about, what's my story? And we're so caught up in our own story. And see, what God wants to do is, hey, get out of your own story and start getting in Jesus' story. And start living in his story. We don't want to let God be God. We want to use our own resources to get things done. We even, and this sounds bad, but it's so, we want to use people. I mean, we meet people and we say, okay, how can this person help me accomplish my ends and my goals? And if they can't, maybe we're not as close to them. And if they can, maybe we're more intentional having a cup of coffee or having lunch. And we forget that God is God. We forget that God can do anything. We forget that there's this God that says, man, if you would just put your life in Jesus' life and take your story out of the equation and begin focusing on his story, man, he can work through us and do greater things and do things for eternity. Like this no one home alone. Like helping lead people to Christ. Helping them know Christ. Helping them be part of a church family. So, if you don't have Christ, it is going to be about your story. If you don't have Christ, you can build an empire, and then you die, and you'll meet God. There's a guy, uh, some of y'all may know him, some of you may not. Uh, his name's Christopher Hitchens, or his name was Christopher Hitchens. Um, you know, I, I've heard him, never really read anything, but he did his best to down Christianity uh, throughout his uh, professional life. Uh, he was an atheist, proclaimed atheist. Um, liked the spotlight, liked the attention, you know, bashed Christianity. I think he made fun when Jerry Falwell actually died. And I don't know what you think about Falwell, but made fun of Jerry Falwell when he died. He um, did everything he could to intellectually and socially, you know, just totally deconstruct and disconnect faith in Christ. And um, something unique happened to him this week that he met God. And um, I don't know, like, what happened. I mean... Listen, I, I'm never, I've said this before, I've said it again, I'll never say, you know, look, this is where this person's going to spend eternity because I believe Jesus can work from the last, up to the last minute of a person's life, maybe through someone. Um, so, you know, I hope that he was witnessed to and God did a work in his heart. I don't know that. I know what I saw. And so everything he tried to do, now he's met God. I tell you that story because, again, if we don't have Christ, if we don't have Christ... I mean, our lives, they're not going to mean anything for eternity. I, mean, I know that even sounds bad. They're not going to mean anything for eternity. It's just going to be solitary. You're going to be alone forever without Christ. But then Jesus came. One life. One solitary life. And what did he do? Let's read on the story. It says, verse 4 again, it says, Joseph went up from... Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. First, take Joseph and Mary, I mean, people that... You know, if Caesar had looked at this young couple, Joseph, just a poor carpenter, Mary, a young girl, I mean, 13, 14. I mean, 
I mean, they were, they were nobodies. And they came from Hickville, I mean, in the Roman Empire. They had this humility. And they said, God has revealed this to us. We're going to follow his lead wherever it takes us. So God used them to bring forth his kingdom, to bring forth his son. And then he comes into to Bethlehem, which, by the way, means house of bread, literally. Bethlehem means house of bread. There's no room. They go to the stable, a stable, a stable where animals live. Puts the child in a manger because there's no room in the inn. This story, I mean, it was, a, it was an afterthought. It was a backthought of the people in power. But yet God had brought his son. Light had entered into the world. Light had entered into darkness. And it's grown. So my question is, is your heart dark today? Is there room in your heart or in your life for the Christ child? Is there room in your life for this one solitary life? Or is it all about your story? I hope you could start today making it your story about Jesus' story. I'm going to read to you a, a poem or a story. Um, if you get a chance, you should read this. It's really, I find it very beautiful. Interestingly enough, I was at the, this is just a side note, but I, I thought this was kind of crazy. At New York City, Radio City, Christmas Spectacular, they showed this, this poem or this story. This was 15 years ago. I don't know if they do today, but I was like, wow, blown away. I mean, capital of like, you know, atheism. And, I mean, nothing, I love New York, but you know, just blown away that they show this. Anyway, it's called One Solitary Life. It was written in the 1920s by a guy named James Francis. It's about the life of Christ. He was born in an obscure village, the son of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was a wandering preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never had a family. He never owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 300 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. All of his friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was executed by the state. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave because of the pity of a friend. Yet 20 centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. All the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the parliaments that have ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected the life of mankind on this earth as much as that one solitary life. It's Jesus' story. We all know the story. I mean, I think we all know the story. We certainly know the Christmas story. Is our life in his story? Are we part of his story? I hope you will be. And I believe when you do, one of three things can happen. One of three things can happen. We can find these in scripture. The first is you wander. Going back to Luke 2. The end of Luke 2 it says, All who heard this wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds had seen the Christ child. The shepherds had seen 
the angels, and then they shared the gospel, the good news. And people wondered. You hear the good news. Hopefully you hear it Sunday after Sunday. But you're hearing the good news today. You would hear it tonight. And you can wonder. You wonder, hey, is this, is this like really legit stuff? I mean, I know people who wonder, who wonder today. Hey, you can say like great poem and that can be moving, but hey, is this really like the real deal? Is it really legit? Everything you say, I mean, void in your life. God sent Jesus to fill it. We can have life for eternity. You wonder. Yes. Yes. You know how I know it's real? How I hope you'll know it's real? It's not the manger. It's the cross. See, our greatest accomplishment, me, you, our greatest achievement that you'll ever do, be it cure AIDS, cure cancer, your greatest achievement will never compare with what Jesus did for you on the cross. John Stott says it, says nothing humbles us like the cross. And if we look at the cross, if we gaze at the cross, and I hope you will, and that's why it's up here right now, that's why it's front and center, if you gaze at the cross, what it communicates, what it says, is Jesus saying from the cross, I did this for you. I didn't do it for humanity, although he did, but I want you to know he did it for you. See, I'm on the cross because of your sin. The sin I'm bearing is yours. The death I'm dying, he would say, is your death. Humbles us. Anything and everything, the greatest thing we'd ever do, it pales to what Christ has done for us. I hope you'll stop wondering. I hope you'll stop thinking, is this legit? I hope you'll stop thinking, is this the real deal? It is. It's what it's all about. The gospel, the good news. That Christ took on our sin, that Christ took on our death. And so, if you, if you like get that, if you get it, then you're like, like Mary, verse 19 here. It says, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I mean, you, when you know that, some of you have had this experience. Hopefully all of you will, but you're like, man, he did this for me. For me, it begins as this individual deal, this individual salvation, a reworking of your heart. And you treasure it. And you love Jesus as an individual. And you treasure and you ponder. And again, go back, there is a mystery to it. And you need people. And you need to see the gospel and that mystery again and again and again and again. Sunday after Sunday. Wednesday night after Wednesday night in a group. Day after day in a devotion time. You need to gaze at the cross. You need to gaze at the gospel. You think, why is this such good news? Because he came to save you. You. And nothing you can do will save yourself. It's done. It's done. Jesus won. It's over. And you got to hear that. you got to know that again. So you need a church family. You need a church family to gather together in worship, to be together in worship, to be united as the family of Jesus. You need to have relationships that will, that will edify, that will encourage, that will uplift. Because the valleys will come and the devil will attack. And you got to see the gospel, the good news of the gospel, again and again and again and again. And make it more about you, but about a body, about a family. And if you do that, and I believe if you do, then not only will you just wander, not only will you then treasure in your heart, but you will be the light of Christ 
like the shepherds, verse 20. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told them. Glorifying and praising God. We think about that, we think of worship. How do you glorify? How do you praise God? Yes, you worship. You come and you sing. You worship tonight, night of worship. You glorify and praise Him. But you can do so much more. You can evangelize. Now, you hear that word evangelize, you say, whoa, man, that's like, you know, Billy Graham come to the front of the aisle. I can't like it. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about with your life. Evangelize. Share the good news. How do you do this? Here's how. Because we live in a world that there are three responses to life. One is some of the churches that you grew up in. One is some of the, the religion that you know. As in like, hey, you got to do this. You got to be a good person. You got to be a good Christian. And your works and your effort gets you to heaven. And then you see these people that supposed to have great works. And they're like, you know, there's no fruit. I mean, back in Jesus' day, it was the Pharisees, which he, which he railed on. And you're like just, you know, you're repelled by that church. And you're repelled by that Christian. And you're repelled by that philosophy or way of thinking. So the other response is you come here and you're like the younger brother in the prodigal son. And you're going to be, you know, hey, what do you call it, a libertine? What do you call it, a hedonist? Hey, I'm going to eat, drink, be merry. I'm going to be sleeping with my girlfriend or living with my girlfriend or boyfriend and all this. And I'm going to say, man, I don't want any of that. And there's got to be some other answer. And so you come over here. And see, both are false. And then there's the gospel. The cross coming forth out of the manger. I mean, the real gospel. The real gospel. The real deal. And that is, all of us are broken. All of us has this void. All of us have this separation. And we fool ourselves. We trick and say, we got to fill it. And we kid ourselves saying, hey, look what I've done. And that fills it. And it doesn't. Or we say, hey, if I get the greatest toy, I'll fill it. And then next Christmas, you want the next toy. And the next toy. And it's never filled. And the real gospel is that Jesus has done it all. And he lived and then he died and he took on your guilt. He took on your pain. He took on your sin, the brokenness. If you know that, you can live free. You can live humbly. You can love. Instead of always trying to you know, make yourself succeed, you can say, hey, I want my best friend to succeed. Now like, you can even say this, is I want my enemy to succeed. Wow. Have you ever thought that? And we all can have enemies or people. I'd love to see them succeed in life. I pray for them to succeed in life. How does that happen? By knowing the gospel, that knowing Christ, by gazing at the cross. So you can evangelize. You can serve others. You can serve those who are, you know, let's say, you know, lesser than you in terms of what they have or in terms of their resources. You can serve the poor. Get this, you could even serve those who have more than you. Some of you say, I do that all the time. It's called my work, my job. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like, again, those who have more and serve them. Man, what humility. How does that happen? The cross. How does that, the, the gospel. Serve people. How do you glorify and praise? You be with children. Jesus said, have faith like a child. Jesus always, he loved children. He's always around children. We love children. You know, are we just spending time with children? Are we loving children? We have the humility of a child. We have the faith of a child. And then we can see other people and we can see grace in them. 
So many of us, and I put myself, I mean, we, we're like, oh, we're so discerning because, you know, we see the negative of somebody, or we see the critique, or we, you know, we can see the, you know, the big, you know, man, this is his or her, this is their failure, this is their weakness. We can see that, we can discern that. It takes more of Christ, it takes more of the gospel, it takes more love to see grace in every person. I mean, that's, I mean, God has really convicted me of this, honestly, because I, I can be critical, and I can be challenging. And God's work on me, like, the person that is most challenging, I want you to see grace in. I want you to see my grace. I want you to see my work. We can only do that through the cross. Closing today, I'd ask you this. Is, uh, is your life a mess? I mean, it may look perfect to everybody else. I mean, in, do you feel like it's a mess? If it is, I would say you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're either focusing on yourself or you're focused on an aspect of yourself and what you can do and what you can achieve and it's taking you nowhere. Are your relationships a mess? Is your marriage a mess? Maybe you're focusing too much on yourself. Maybe you're focused on too much of how can I fix this? Maybe you're focusing too much on what can I do? Maybe you're focusing too much on what can I accomplish and achieve and not the cross. I believe the answer to life, I mean, with all my heart, the answer, the truth, is, is the cross. What happened on the cross began in the manger. But let us not forget, I don't want any of you to forget today, that the cross comes out of the manger. Why I love Christmas is because in the darkest of times of year, in the darkness of our lives, in the darkness of our heart, light entered the world. Light entered the world. And that light that began in the manger, shines forth to the cross. It shines forth to Easter. We're looking forward to Easter. It's not just about Christmas. It's about the gospel. It's about good news. And that happened on the cross. And it happened in an empty tomb. And it happens when you begin taking your story out of the equation and begin saying, how can I live in Jesus' story? C.S. Lewis, the greatest definition of humility ever, I think. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Think of Jesus more. Gaze at the cross. It will change your life. It will penetrate your life. It will overwhelm your life. It will humble you. It will pummel us. And we will be changed. I want to invite you today. Um, it's a different service. So I want to invite you to do this. You don't have to. I hope you will. I hope you'll take this opportunity, ask you about cards, ask you about a pen. See the manger in here, you see the altar rails, you see the cross. I want to invite you to the cross. I want to invite you to come forward and gaze literally at the cross. I'd love for you to take a slip of paper or the connect card, and I'd love for you to write one of three things. This is our last service, our last Sunday service of the year. We'll have Christmas Eve and we'll have communion but this is, this is the close of a year. It'll be a close of a year for you. It'll be a close of a way of life and the beginning of a new life. I'd like you to write on your card one of three things. One, if there's something that you desperately need to repent of, if there is a thing that is holding you back that you need to give to Jesus, you can come and you can put that card in the manger and lay it at the cross. Lay it literally at the foot of the cross. Second, there may be nothing. I mean, you may be hunky-dory. But maybe there's a person in your life. Maybe there's a person 
in your life that you just can't connect with. Maybe there's a person in your life that is just not connecting with Christ. There's a person in your life that you're so worried about, that you love, and there's just, it's just not happening. Give them to Jesus. Write their name. Give it to Jesus. Put it in the manger. Put it at the foot of the cross. And then third, maybe there is something that you need help with. I mean, you need a church family. You need prayer. Write that. And then we want to be here for you. We want to help you. All of this can be anonymous. We're not asking for names. I mean, you can put your name, but it's more important about what you would give up, what you repent of, who you give to Jesus, and how we can be Jesus' family to you. Pray that you'll do this, and then you can kneel at the altar and kneel at the cross. The cross changes everything. Christmas ultimately is about the cross. The gospel, the good news, is not only has God come to earth, but God has saved us. He has saved us, get this, y'all, from ourselves. That this DNA that's in us that we will never feel, and this emptiness that even your husband or your wife will never feel, or your children, or your toys, or your income, or your career... Jesus will. And honestly, that's all I can say. Then it's left up to the Holy Spirit, and it's left up to your heart, whether you're open to it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I am humbled when I look at the cross, and when I really get it, not just conceptually or hear a story but like know in in my heart what what has been done for me what has been done for everyone in this room through Jesus through the cross I pray that you would heal us of our addictions to self and our addictions to success and that we would begin seeing this mystery again and again and again and again of God becoming human and God taking on our sin and God dying for it that we can have life and we can have freedom and we can have real humility and we can have real love and we can have real peace that is what the angels joyfully sang about that it is done in Jesus and it is won through the cross And I pray that we would all know that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.